Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are reading through uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, one of the greatest parts of the New Testament. Uh, The first half, Pastor Jeremy pointed this out last week, uh, the first three chapters of this letter uh, talk about how God engages us, how he uh, prepares everything that we need, including, of course, our faith, our, our faith and our salvation, uh, but then sets everything up for us around us. It's uh, a lot of doctrine, a lot of the how God works in us and through us. And then the last three chapters is how God equips us to actually do the work that we're capable of doing now, only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So uh, today, looking at the end of chapter 4, we're going to talk about how God equips us to imitate, to imitate Him. Now, I don't know if it's true for everybody's experience in here, but if you had a sibling like I did, I'm I'm guessing you had this experience. So you're, you're a little kid, and you're sibling starts copying you. You'll say something, and they'll repeat it back, and then you'll be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, you're copying me. Oh, you're copying me. Stop copying me. Stop copying me. I mean it. I mean it. On and on it goes, right? It's very frustrating, very frustrating. And yet, there's this famous phrase that uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery. Your dad told you that too. Yeah. Well, there's... So there's a little bit of a difference between copying someone, mimicking, maybe even mocking like a comedian does an impersonation, versus imitating. In other words, modeling your life, modeling your words on someone else, something else, something that you look up to. And in verse 1, Paul says that we are to be imitators of God. Now, the key word here, the the difficult part of this is not imitating. We all imitate others. That's probably the best way that we learn and how we've learned everything in life, by watching and looking up to others. But Paul is saying we don't want to imitate the ways of the sinful world. We want to be imitators of God. It's a big difference. That's the key. Who, not if we're imitating, but who are we imitating? True story. President Calvin Coolidge invited some friends from his hometown to have dinner at the White House. Now, these folks didn't know what to expect. They certainly didn't know how to act or behave in such a formal event. So they talked, and they thought, well, we should probably just do whatever the president does, Right? So they sit down, it's it's dinner, and it's time to serve coffee. And the president takes his coffee, and he pours it into the saucer. And his hometown folk kind of look at each other, and they say, they all grab their coffee, pour it into the saucer. Next step for the president was to pour some milk in, add just a little bit of sugar. Again, the hometown folks do the same. Then the president grabbed the saucer, and then they fully expected the next step was that he was going to sip some of his coffee. But instead, he leaned down, and he put the saucer on the floor, and he called the cat. Uh, If you're going to 
imitate someone, make sure you know what they're doing and why they're doing it. And in some cases, make sure you know that they know what they're doing and why they're doing it. Uh, simply imitating, it's a, it's, a natural, it's a natural thing. It's how children learn. Children may, they may only remember half of the things that you tell them, but they'll remember everything that they see you do. So, Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So there's a lot of things, right, that we need to do to be imitators of God, uh, but today Paul focuses on our words, and that's what we're going to focus on too. It's so important that we imitate God when using our words. And sometimes, maybe a lot of times, I see poor examples even from Christians, even from pastors, in using words that, that tear down rather than build up. Another true story, this one hits closer to home. We, uh, Christy's here, my, we, we just bought our first house, newlyweds, young, and uh, that, that first spring, that first summer, our yard was full of weeds, I mean, it was more weeds than grass. It was just, and I was getting so frustrated with the weeds. I tried mowing them. Of course, that didn't work. They popped up faster than the grass would grow. I thought, well, maybe I could pull them. I know that gets rid of them for good. It's too many. Take too long. Back hurts. Can't do that. So finally, I thought, okay, I'll go to the store. I'm going to get a big spray bottle. I'm going to buy some weed killer. That's what I'm going to do. And so there I was, full of zeal for ridding my lawn of this foreign flora, I skimmed the directions, mixed the concentration, and sprayed all the weeds in my yard. It was very effective. <laughs> the uh, mix was a little stronger than it was supposed to be, and the wind was blowing a little stronger than I realized, and so, within a couple of days, my yard turned to this. Everything was wiped out. Even the bushes were curling and withering as if writhing in agony. But hey, look, no more weeds. There is another poison that is being used at a scale at which has never been fathomed before. A, a poison that is, it's actually a gift. It's a wonderful freedom that we have. It's our speech, our words. And specifically, I want to talk about those words in the cloud, those texts or emails, those posts and comments and likes and thumbs up, any kind of speech that is, uh, disembodies the humanity of it. There's no person there. There's no face. There's no tone of voice. It's just words flying back and forth at each other. Paul said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such 
is good for building up. Only words that build others up. Never words that tear people down. And, and to give you any, another example of how immensely powerful our words are today versus even when Paul wrote these words and for all, really all the generations before ours. Uh, when I was at Concordia Seminary, we had a guest uh, speaker come. His name is Leonard Sweet. He's a pastor. He's an author. He's a speaker. Uh, he wrote, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace? Um, some of you may have read that from more popular books. But uh, another book he wrote is The Church of the Perfect Storm. And in it, he, he, he talks about the effects of this incredibly advancing technology in our world. It's, it, it's advancing faster than we can kind of understand what the ramifications are. And certainly uh, more than we can uh, lay down kind of what would be ethical and what crosses the line. Uh, and to kind of give you that, so it's, he calls it the post-scale technological world. We now live in the post-scale technological world. And I'm going to use the technology of weapons to give you an idea of what he's talking about here. So to move from a, a club to a spear, right, is to advance up the scale. So if you're hunting moose, right, it, it is uh, more effective, it is more efficient, and it's certainly safer for you to hunt with a spear, right, than it would be to hunt with just a club. And as you move up that scale to, say, the bow and arrow, uh, you can still measure that same efficiency, effectiveness, safer, uh, from the bow and arrow to the crossbow, from the crossbow to the musket. We're, we're, we're advancing up the scale. But then, as you continue to go up the scale, from gun to bazooka to missile to atomic bomb, Okay, we've now suddenly left all of those old ways of understanding and regulating and, and, and whatever, comprehending even, uh, these weapons to something that is just, it's off the charts. The ramifications, the consequences of this weapon far exceeds anything we could ever imagine beforehand. Out of zeal, we could wipe out every human life form, most every life form on the face of the earth, except for weeds and cockroaches. We know they're always going to survive. But hey, we could say, look, no more enemies. Ta-da. Yeah, that's effective, but it is off the scale of being able to put any kind of ethics to it, any kind of rational, you know, reason, responsibility uh, to what this should do. We are long overdue for some serious thinking about how Christians engage in social media. I've seen, I know you have seen, again, friends, family, Christians, leaders, Leaders in the world, leaders in the church, pastors, 
completely go off the scale of things, words that build up, that share the gospel, that share the love of God in Christ. So how do we engage with people? And again, it's any kind of electronic communication. It can be a text message, it can be an email. Uh, however we communicate with other people, when we remove our face and we remove our voice from that communication, it is, it's a wholly other thing. Our words are just flying over the airs to our enemy, at our enemy. And it's off the scale. Again, Paul could, generations before us, no one could have ever imagined the impact that our words could have today. Social media has unleashed this unholy fire of slander and gossip and turned it into a weapon of mass destruction. One person with just one word can slander, tear down groups without any repercussions, sometimes even anonymously. And make no mistake about it, when we engage in these things, Paul draws a very sharp line. It grieves the Holy Spirit. That 2 a.m. post or reply to a news article or a tweet that is done out of zeal, zeal for truth, Maybe even zeal for Jesus. The bad far outweighs any good that you think you are doing. And more than that, there are people who are watching you and will imitate you. There are people that you influence always. It's so important that we imitate God so that when people see us, they are also would be imitating God through us. So what do we do? We walk. We walk in love. Jesus gave us this wonderful example. He said, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Love gives. Look at that. Love gives. Love doesn't take. Love isn't selfish. Love isn't prideful. Love isn't zealous to be right. Love gives. It sacrifices of pride, of this desire to be right for the sake of love. And make no mistake, it grieves the Holy Spirit when our words tear other people's down because we are tearing apart what God's love has brought together. Walk in love is... Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And the next verse is, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away, along with malice. Be kind. Be tenderhearted. Be forgiving. Now look. If you can do that on Facebook, go for it. Go for it, right? But at all costs, let us not do anything 
that would cause the Holy Spirit to grieve. Therefore, be, be imitators of God. Not only for our own walk with the Lord, maybe number one, but again, maybe you're not an Instagram influencer, but there are many people who watch you that you influence. So even if they're not seeing God, seeing the love that gives through Jesus Christ, they see you, they see how you walk in his love, they see how you are imitating God, they see God's love in the flesh through you, and how you act, and certainly how we speak. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are love. You are the God of love. And it is astounding at how much you love us. We pray that we could resist the temptations that are so strong in our world and our society today, that we would be models and examples of only speaking words that build other people up and not getting caught in the web and the, the emotions uh, that so easily entangle us and get us mad or riled up or frustrated, uh, but see our lives as, as, as being in service to you and to one another. How can you use us through all of these things uh, to share your gospel, to share your love with each other? Give us that strength, Lord, it is by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.